well, good morning to Cities Church. It's good to see you guys. Glad to have you here. I want to say welcome to everyone who is watching us online, who's in the lobby here with us. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities Church, and I'm excited this week to bring our series in 2 Timothy to a close. It's sad, but it's been an awesome time working through that together. Before we get into that, though, I want to say about this video, we love community groups here at Two Cities Church. They mean so much to us, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at in your faith journey, we believe community groups are for you because it's the primary place here at Two Cities that you get to do life together with other people, where you get to grow in your faith. It's the primary vehicle that we use to practice ministry, mission, and mercy as Jesus has called us to together as a church. And I wanna just acknowledge, I know that there are some people who are in this room who still have not plugged in. Or maybe you're in, but you're on the fringes. And I think the Crowders do a great job just calling out, hey, there are so many excuses for us not to be plugged into a community. Hey, I've got kids and I don't know what to do with them. Or I've got stuff on a certain night of the week. Or man, I just had a bad day or a rough week. And I'll say, hey, we've got childcare in a lot of groups, all right? <laughs> we've got groups on different nights of the week. And I can promise you, it's those days when you feel like you've been beat up, that community group is gonna come through and mean the most to you. If you talk to any committed community group member here at Two Cities Church that's a part of a healthy, gospel-loving group, they're going to tell you that it is worth it. And so if you're not plugged in, we want to invite you to the Weekender. That's the primary on-ramp that you can get plugged in, and we hope to see you in one of those soon. Would you all pray with me before we dive into our word together? Father, we love you, and we are just so grateful to be able to come together and receive a word from you. God, I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited for me to hear it. For everyone in here to hear it, God, to consider what it is you have for us. God, would you open our hearts to receive that and that each of us would leave this room knowing what you are calling us to, that we would be changed to look more like Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, guys, if you have, an, if you have a Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can turn or type to that. And as you get there, I want to give you guys a sneak peek behind the curtain of my life. I'm a guy who loves food, all right? I, uh, whenever I have a good meal, it is one of the most worshipable experiences I have. Because like, God, you created this. You are so good. But I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't have a love for leftovers. You know, I, I've never really confessed that to my wife, but I don't think she'll be surprised. You know, whether it's the stacks of un-eaten you know, food that we have in our fridge or maybe the downcast face that I get whenever I ask what's for dinner and she says leftovers, right? I know I'm not the only one. I know there's dozens of us in this room that feel the same way, dozens, right? But, you know, sometimes I think about maybe how I feel about leftover food is sometimes how we feel about leftovers in these letters that we have in the Bible, right? We come to the end of these letters and it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of names. It's a bunch of hellos and goodbyes and all that stuff. And so I don't know what you do when you get to that part of a letter. You know, maybe some of you, you start reading, your eyes just glaze over. It's like... I'm gonna check Instagram or see how much the Cubs lost by last night. You may skip it all together. Maybe you're like me and my wife, you've got a baby in the hopper and so you're like, oh, it's a baby name book, right? And it's like, all right, Carpus, is that name gonna get my kid beat up in third grade? <laughs> so, and so maybe you're approaching it different ways. But the big question I wanna answer is like, is there anything for us at the end of these letters where it just seems to be a bunch of names and just random stuff? And the, the resounding answer is yes. I believe God has a lot for us here in this passage. And so what I wanna do is I'm just gonna read through this with you and then we're gonna take some time to unpack it a little bit and try to understand what the Lord has for us. Sound good? All right, so let's start in verse nine. 
says this, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Putin's Linus Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So what are some of the things that we can take away from the leftovers of 2 Timothy? Well, I think there's a few things, but in order to really understand them well, you have to consider the context. Now remember, in this letter, the Apostle Paul is sitting in a prison cell and he is coming to the end of his life. He knows he is going to die. And so Paul is, is modeling for us that we have to be able to encounter and face our own deaths. The Bible encourages that throughout, that we consider our own deaths. You know, we have to find ways as Christians to do that. For me and my family, one of the things we do every year is we observe Ash Wednesday. We typically go to a, a church service, and I remember my own death when I walk up to a pastor, and he traces the outline of a cross on my head. It says, from ashes to ashes and dust to dust, you shall return. We have to face the fact that we one day are going to die. And everyone around us will too. I remember that when I was carrying up my one-year-old daughter and he did the same with her. Everyone that we know is going to pass away. And so what difference does that make? What does it bring to mind of what's important? Well, for Paul, as he's facing his last moments, the thing that he considers the most important are relationships. He talks about people and he talks about Jesus. He says that is what's going to be important to be able to make it to the end. So the question for us is how will we endure to the end? How will you be able to run your race and finish well? The big idea you need to hear today is this. To endure to the end, you need faithful friends and a faithful God. To endure to the end, you are going to need faithful friends and a faithful God. And so I want to look at that first thing, faithful friends. You see the meaningful relationships that Paul has as we come to a close in this letter. How much he values his friendships and his relationships he is not a Lone Ranger Christian. You cannot go to the Bible and think that relationships and friendships are optional for Christians. From the very beginning, it says in Genesis 2, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. But even though that's the case, sometimes we struggle with that, right? As we look around us, especially post-COVID, we're seeing that there's a loneliness epidemic in the world today and in the church too. You know, one of the fast-rising jobs, you may not have heard of this, is something called a friendship coach. This is someone that people literally pay money to to help them make friends because they're struggling with it so much. It's like, I need someone to help coach me how to just be a, a kind of person that other people like and hang out with. 
And so we're hiring friendship coaches. That's how much of a struggle that we have. We saw a survey um, that came out last year that said millennials are the loneliest generation. It's found that 30% of millennials say they have no close friends. 22% of them say they have no friends whatsoever, just acquaintances. By the way, the average person who comes here to two cities is a millennial. And so I know that's something that we're probably facing here in this room. Men struggle with this too. Another um, stat that I came across was that only 15% of men say that they have 10 or more close friends, compared to 40% who could say the same back in 1990. It's something that we're struggling with. Here, in this room, each of us, friendships are a hard thing, but Paul is saying friendships are so important. It's something we need to figure out. It's something we need to prioritize. It's something we need to learn to live this life and make it to the end. And so he's gonna talk about six different types of friends, six different kinds of people that we're gonna come across to be aware, to seek out for ourselves, how to work through these kinds of things. And so let's look at the first person that he mentions. The first kind is friends who were meant for our darkest hours. We all need friends who were meant for our darkest hours. Here in his darkest hour, who does he want? He wants his friend Timothy to come be with him. Look in verse nine, it says, do your best to come to me soon. And he says again in verse 21, do your best to come before winter. And we've seen over the course of this series the kind of relationship that Paul has with Timothy. They have some deep bonds. They have this father-son relationship. There's a lot of deep, deep bonds that they have made with each other. And what this shows us is that having good and close friends is a good thing. It's a good thing that God wants for us to be able to have meaningful friendships. You know, sometimes we feel like, man, if we're more godly, we don't need those things as much. But John Stott, who's a famous theologian, he said this. He says, one sometimes meets super spiritual people who claim that they never feel lonely and have no need for friends, for the companionship of Christ satisfies all their needs. But human friendship is a loving provision of God for mankind. He's saying godly people should love having godly friendships and good friendships. It's something we don't have to cast away and say we don't need. He made them for us. And we see that kind of relationship with Timothy. We also see it with Luke. He says in verse 11, Luke alone is with me. And maybe that's why he's asking Timothy to come because maybe he's getting tired of Luke, right? No, just kidding. But here's what Kent Hughes, he's another theologian, he says this about Luke. Luke was a tough friend for tough times. He was with Paul in prison from the first time to the last. He was Paul's biographer, and the we passages in Acts indicate that he was with the apostle during some of the most difficult times of his life. Luke was a great friend for dark hours in people's lives. We need to have those kinds of people too, the kind of people that we can count on when everything hits the fan, when we get a diagnosis that we don't like, or when someone who we're close to, we lose them, or when our boyfriend or girlfriend break up with us, like, do you have somebody that you can reach out to that's gonna be there for you? If you don't, you need that person. Or maybe consider this, are you the type of friend that other people can count on in their darkest hours? Paul says we need those types of friends in our life. It's a good thing to have those friends. Here's the second type of friends that we're gonna have to encounter. We're gonna encounter friends who will leave us. And this is a sad one, but it's a reality. We're gonna have friends who will leave us. Look in verse 10, it says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. 
The sad reality is we're all gonna have demises in our lives, friends who leave us for all the wrong reasons. And this is weighing on Paul. He's the first name he mentions in this passage. He's clearly on his mind. Demas was a friend, he was a brother, he was a co-laborer. He's mentioned in other letters as someone who was helping him in his ministry, who meant so much to him. But he says, in spite of all that, he has walked away, he's deserted him, he's abandoned him. Why? Because he's in love with this present world. It says he's walked away because he fell in love with something else. We don't know exactly what that is. Maybe he was loving the creation more than the creator. He fell in love with some things in these worlds. He had these misplaced affections. He had these wrong loves. But what we see is when Christians have wrong loves, we lead wrong lives. And is it wrong for Christians to possess and love some things in this world? No, there's, but there's a difference between Christians possessing things and things possessing Christians, right? There is a love for the world that is incompatible with what it means to be walking with Jesus. Or maybe it wasn't something. Maybe it was a lifestyle or behavior that he fell in love with that was incompatible with Christianity. Do you know anybody that's walked away from the faith because of that? I think more and more in this day and age, that is how we're gonna see people leave. It's unfortunate. But we have to understand for ourselves Where are we drawn? When we think about this world around us, as we engage our culture, as we engage the world, we have to filter what is compatible and incompatible with our walk with Christ. The only thing that we can tell us what the difference is is God's word and the gospel. We have to filter through that because if we don't, we may end up like Demas and walking away because we have fallen in love with this world. And so it's a warning to us to not be like Demas, but it's also a warning that you are going to have friends that do this. Don't be surprised when it happens because people will leave us for all the wrong reasons. But here's the other side of the coin. Sometimes we are gonna say goodbye to friends for good reasons. Look with me in verse 10. He says this. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Verse 12, it says, Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. These are three people who left Paul, but they have gone with his blessing because each of these three appear to be going out on some mission for the church. And so sometimes we're gonna have to say goodbye to people. And what that means is we're gonna have gospel gospel goodbyes because people are gonna leave for the sake of mission, whether that's locally, nationally, or globally. Some of you, you're gonna have to say goodbye to friends that you love. Maybe they're in your community group. But God's been raising them up as a leader and they're gonna go start a new group to make more room for more people. We're gonna have to have gospel goodbyes then. It's, it's hard, right? Or maybe over the course of the next couple of years as we continue to plant churches, someone that's near and dear to you is gonna feel called to go to a different city or a different state to be a part of that church plant. We're gonna have to say a gospel, gospel goodbye. Or maybe they're gonna go to Mumbai. Maybe they're gonna go to Laos. Somewhere to take the gospel to people around the world. You see, we have to learn how to love people deeply, but also hold them loosely. We have to learn what it looks like to invest in relationships, but know that there may be a day that we're going to have to say goodbye. Parents, you get this. That's what our relationship with our kids is, right? We're investing in them, loving them deeply, but someday, if it's a healthy relationship, you're letting them go. That's what it looks like. And so sometimes I am, as I've thought about this this week, I'm convinced that this may be one of the biggest reasons we struggle with friendships. 
Because we know that if we love, that means we're going to experience loss. Because they're going to have to say goodbye, or maybe we're going to be hurt in some different kind of way. And so we hold ourselves back. We're not willing to invest our love or time in people because, man, this could lead to a place I don't want to go. And that's why some of us struggle with friendships, because we're afraid of that loss. But here's what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Four Loves. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be certainly wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to keep, if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around your hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only safe place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and deviations of love is hell. What C.S. Lewis is saying is when we attempt to protect ourselves so much, we become less human because we move further and further away from who God made us to be, people who love God and love others and receive love in return. Let me ask you, if you're struggling with friendships, may that be one of the reasons that you are having a hard time. And if that's you, I wanna ask you, would you be willing to trust God? Would you be willing to ask him to open up channels into your heart again so that you can love God, love other people, and be able to love, receive that love in return, even if it may mean loss? Another way to ask that is, are you willing to be courageous? Because at the heart of friendship is courage. It's vulnerability. It's willing to put yourself out there. But the return that we have when we do that means far more than anything that we can have apart from that. So that's what God's inviting us into is, man, sometimes we're gonna have people leave, but are you willing to invest in it all the same? That's one of the friends that Paul wants us to see. Here's a third type of friend. We're gonna have friends who will be restored. We're gonna have friends who are restored. In verse 11, he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And this request should be shocking to us because if you know anything about the relationship between Mark and Paul, it started off beautifully. Mark was one of the disciples of Jesus, not one of the original 12, but he would have seen all of Jesus's life. He followed him and, and just continued to. He became Paul's right-hand man. They did a lot of ministry and mission together. But somewhere along the way, Mark left and then later tried to come back and join up with Paul. And Paul's like, no, I can't. I can't trust you anymore. It was sad to see this great relationship fall apart. But somewhere along the way, 20 years later, when Paul is in his cell, he's saying, bring Mark. Bring Mark. Because God's grace entered in that relationship and restored what once was broken. That should be a hope and encouragement to us. How many of you have strained or broken relationships that you've lost hope for? There is hope. Because by the grace of God, we can see those things restored. We see Mark not just restored to a relationship, but he's restored to ministry. Do you know why we have the apostle Mark or the gospel Mark in our Bibles? It's because God continued to use someone even as he made a mistake. 
And so we can be restored to ministry. We can be restored to relationships because good friends can still be good friends even when we hurt each other and even when we fail. Amen? And so we need to be Christians who seek out reconciliation and restoration because grace can bring those things together once again. And so we have friends that will be restored. Here's the fourth kind of friends. You see friends who are gonna keep your stuff, okay? Read with me in verse 13. It says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and also the books and above all the parchments. You see, Carpus is the kind of guy, maybe he's like your freshman roommate who you lent your sweater, your books, maybe some DVDs, and it's 10 years later and you still haven't seen them, all right? He's that kind of guy. Carpus is a bum, okay? <laughs> Sometimes that's what friendships are. But it illustrates something helpful for us. Friends are people that we share with, right? We share our lives with them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We share our things. What's mine is yours. That's what friendship can often look like. Paul says, bring the cloak, the books, the parchment. And here we actually get a glimpse into the humanity of Paul. We find a Paul who is lonely, cold, and bored. When we find ourselves in those, placely, in those places, sometimes we think it's more godly to deprive ourselves, right? If I was a godly person, I wouldn't need that. But John Stott said this, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body's cold, we need clothing. When our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this is not unspiritual, it's human. Sometimes we feel like we have to be more spiritual than God. That's not what we need to do. We can embrace our humanness. When we have needs, we can ask for those things. We can seek for those things. That's okay. But in those last moments, when he is expecting to die, what is he concerned about? Think about this. What does he want? People? But he's asking for his books and the parchments too. And what that tells us is that we need to use our minds. Thinking and reading is important. I think too many people today, if you were in Paul's situation, you'd be writing your friend, it's like, bring me the Netflix. <laughs> bring me the TikTok. Above all else, right? <laughs> but Paul is saying, man, let's not be that kind of people. Man, we, we are called as Christians to, to be more meaningful. You know what those parchments and books were? They were the scriptures. They were the Bible. They were good other Christian writings. And so if Paul needs that in his life, especially at the end, what do you think we need? We need the same things. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us. And because in those moments, we need to better clearly see who God is. We need to see what he's called us to so that we can be empowered and strengthened to face whatever it is ahead. And so consistently find ways to be in the scripture. Find good books that are gonna help you grow in your faith. The fifth kind of friend that we see are friends who become enemies. We're gonna have friends who become enemies. Look with me in verse 14. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. We don't really know exactly who Alexander is or what he did. You know, he may have been the one who testified against Paul at his trial. He may have led to his arrest. But what's clear is that Alexander is opposing Paul in the gospel. We're gonna have people in our life that come to oppose us as well. And Paul models for us, what do we do when we hit those times? Well, we see, he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. You see, Paul says that he's giving that person to the Lord who's the ultimate judge, who will exact ultimate justice. You know, sometimes our temptation is whenever we have that kind of person is to hit them back, right? But Paul is saying, listen, all you're gonna do is create more hurt for yourself. You're gonna push yourself further away from people. You're gonna push yourself further away from God when you're full of bitterness and anger. He says, give them to the Lord because every person that hurts us or harms us will one day have to give an answer before the Lord. And they're gonna be getting what's theirs from him. So we don't have to be the ones to do that. 
So when we encounter people that oppose us, give them to the Lord. But he says the second thing. In verse 15, he says, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So another thing that we do is we be on guard against this kind of person and do others a favor. If others need to be aware of them too, let them know. He's concerned about Timothy. He's like, I know he's against me. I don't want him to be against you. And so we warn other people against this kind of person, but we don't do it as Christians in a gossipy or slanderous way, right? That's the difference between us and the world is we can talk about it honestly and truthfully while still being wise and warning. And hear this, there's a difference between forgiving and forgetting as well. We are all called to forgive people who oppose us, but that doesn't mean we have to forget what they've done. For example, imagine you have a father who abused you as a child. God is calling you to forgive that man, but he's not saying you have to go back to the relationship and act like it, doesn't hap- it never happened. You need to be wise in the way that you pursue that relationship with him. You need to be wise in the way that you let your kids interact with him as well. And so we can forgive, but we don't have to forget. We need to still be wise with these kinds of friends. And here's the sixth type of friend that Paul wants us to see. He points us to friends who join us on mission. We need friends who are gonna join us on mission. We see a few in verse 19. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Here we see several faithful, steadfast friends that Paul did life with, that he did ministry with. Some of the most famous are Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila. We see them throughout the different letters. They were very dear friends to him. I was reading in Romans this week. Paul was saying they literally stuck out their necks for me. They were so close to him. They hosted the church for him. They were like the ancient equivalent of a community group host family. So there's a, there's a depth of relationship there. And so we're called to be on mission with other people. We see in, some more in verse 21. He says, Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Now, we don't know anything about these four people. But they, even though they were unknown to us, they were known to God and to Paul. They meant so much to him in his life and especially now in his death. He's saying people that we do mission with matter. Because what you find is as you do mission with people, there's a depth of relationship that comes with that. One of my favorite TV series is called Band of Brothers. It's a story of World War II, people who are fighting together. And as you see over the course of these 10 episodes, as they are pressing on towards a goal together, you see the bonds of friendship and brotherhood grow incredibly deep. And it's the same way when we live out what God's called us to do, the great commission, the great commandment together, we see All of us have been given that. As we do it together, you see a depth of relationship forming. And so we need to find those people in our life that we can do ministry with. Who do you have in your life that is helping you fulfill your ministry that God has given you? Do you have people here at this church who are helping do that? Do you have people at work? Do you have people in your neighborhood? Do you have people in your school? Because we need those people. Or maybe ask yourself this, who am I being that type of friend to? How am I helping some of my friends live out the ministry that Jesus has called them to? Those are the kinds of friends that we need. And so as we see, as we just culminate this idea of faithful friendship is an incredibly important thing, what you need to do is you need to seek out these kinds of relationships. You need to build friendships. You need to go deep with people. 
Some of the easy ways you can do that here at Two Cities is through community groups. It's a place where we can get to know each other. We can know each other's stories. We can walk alongside with one another. We can care for one another. We can be on mission with each other. It's a beautiful place for you to find these relationships. Maybe it's with a serving team. But it's gonna take, remember, courage. Sometimes it's gonna take some boldness for you to reach out to somebody and be vulnerable because that's the foundation of relationships. So were you willing to be courageous to build relationships around you? So build relationships, but be aware, this is important, don't be surprised when your friends let you down. Even our best friends are going to sometimes let us down. Read this in verse 16, it says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. Of all the friends that Paul listed, for some reason, we don't know why, no one showed up. And he was left feeling alone, defenseless. But we shouldn't be surprised because friends fail. Charles Spurgeon said, don't be surprised when friends fail you because we live in a failing world. You guys, we're fickle people, aren't we? We switch things all the time. We always let ourselves down. We're gonna do that with other people. But it's what we do in response to those times. Look at what Paul says. He says, may it not be charged against them. When he was completely abandoned, he says, may it not be charged against them. And we see Paul modeling what we see in Jesus Christ who is hanging on the cross, abandoned. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. We see Paul modeling the disciple Stephen, who, by the way, Stephen, and all, or who Paul and all of his friends stoned to death. And as they did that, he saw Stephen say, Father, forgive them. What allows a man to be able to forgive people like that? It's because Paul knew, in spite of friends that fail, he knew someone who was unchanging. He knew someone who was constant. He knew someone who was going to be there with him to the end, no matter what. Because Paul knew what it was to have a faithful God. Even when our faithful friends fail, our faithful God will be there with us. And he wants you to see what this faithful God is like Verse 17, he says, but the Lord stood by me. In that moment, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I think there's three things that Paul wants us to see about this faithful God. The first is that this faithful God is ever-present. He is always going to be present to us. Even though Paul felt betrayed and let down by so many, he knew that he was never alone. I imagine as Paul sat there in his cell, he felt the presence of the same Jesus Christ who showed up and was there for him at the Damascus Road. He was there for him at the end as well. And in our darkest hours, in our moments of need, we too can see and feel that presence of the Lord Jesus Christ standing by us because he is the perfect friend. He is the friend that sticks closer to a brother. It says he is near to the brokenhearted and we are gonna especially feel him in our midst when we are brokenhearted, when we are going through that darkest hour. Psalm 139 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. What he's saying is, I'm gonna be there with you regardless if it's your highest high or your lowest low. 
And I think one of the ways that God stands by us in these moments is simply by relating to us. I don't know if you've ever been through a time of unique suffering in your life, but sometimes when you're going through something like that, one thing that you feel is you feel so alone. When you're walking through something, it's just like, man, I feel like I'm the only one who's been through this. But what sometimes happens is you come across someone who's been in a similar situation and they come alongside you. And that just feels different. I've been beside people who have walked through miscarriage or the loss of a child because I've been through that myself. And you know what you feel in that moment? When you find that kind of person, you don't feel so alone anymore because you feel like as you're facing this dark hour, someone is there by you because they know what it's like. And there's something about it that allows you to feel strengthened to be able to face whatever is ahead of you. There's no more beautiful feeling than that. But even if you can't find that person in your life here in this world, you have a savior who can relate to you in every way. Paul had someone, a savior, who knew what it was like to have a Demas in his life, except his name was Judas. Jesus knew what it was like to, in his moment of need, have all of his friends abandon him. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to have someone want to do great harm to him. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to be alone facing your death. He can know what you are feeling when you lose a parent. He knows what you feel like when you feel misunderstood. He knows what it's like to face injustice. And so he stands by our side and strengthens us by relating to us. But I think another way that he does that is by praying and interceding for us. I don't think it's an accident that, that Paul uses the phrase, he stood by me. A couple minutes ago, I talked about the disciple Stephen who Paul and his friends stoned to death. And it says in that moment as he was being stoned, the, or the disciple Stephen looked up into heaven. And you know what he saw there? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, typically what you hear when you hear that imagery is Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And that image of seated means he's in a position of authority. But why does it say standing? Well, I think it's interesting that throughout the Bible, the posture and position of prayer is standing like this. And so when Stephen looks up at heaven in his darkest hour, what does he see? He sees his Lord Jesus Christ interceding for him and praying for him that he would endure to the end. And I believe that's what we can take hope in, in our moments of darkness, in our moments of need, we can be reminded that Jesus is standing and interceding for each of us as well. Church, my prayer for you is when you walk through those times, you would feel the Lord's presence. The moment of my life that I felt Jesus' presence the most was when I lost my son. But as hard as that was, I felt Jesus standing by me. God who was with me, he was faithful to the end because you know what? He is a God who knows what it's like to lose a son as well. And there's no more beautiful thought than the idea that we have a present God. Not only that, he is a rescuing God. Paul says this in verse 18. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. You guys, Christianity is a rescuing religion. 
It's always been that way. It's never been about what we bring to the table or how we save ourselves. It's always him coming to our rescue. And he rescues us in a number of different ways. One of the ways that he rescues us is by giving us exactly what we hope for sometimes. Paul said at his first defense, he said he was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now that doesn't mean he was rescued from a literal lion. That means he was rescued from death. But sometimes the Lord is going to rescue you from what you're facing because he is not done with you yet. He wasn't done with Paul yet because he had more for him to do. We would not be reading this letter today if God had not rescued him that first time. We have that because God rescued him. You know what else happened? Caesar got to hear the gospel and the gospel went forward to all different kinds of people around the world because God rescued him and delivered him from that first time. And sometimes God is gonna save you for exactly the same reason because he's not done with you yet. He wants to work in and through you so that you might advance the kingdom wherever he's placed you. And so we can pray for those things because we know that God can use us. But sometimes we don't get that. But we don't lose hope. Paul says he is confident the Lord will rescue me. But that's not from prison. That's not from death. He's saying he will rescue me and I will finally be with him forever in his kingdom. That's the ultimate rescue that as Christians, we can have courage and hope even as we walk through our darkest times. We have a rescuing God, but the last thing that we see is we have a gracious God. Look at the last sentence, the last verse. It says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Grace to you. This letter starts with grace and it ends with grace, but not just grace, grace to you. And not just grace to Timothy. Remember, Paul is expecting us to be reading this over the shoulder of Timothy because he wants to remind you, God is giving his grace to you. You sitting in these seats today, you watching online, God's grace is for you. And listen, grace is not just the thing that saves us. It's what empowers us to do everything that Jesus has called us to do. How no matter how hard that might be, he is giving you the power to be able to accomplish those things even if that means enduring to the end. That's often what his grace is for. The theologian Matthew Henry says, grace is here with us to convert us, to change us, to make us holy, to keep us humble, but also to enable us to persevere to the end. Glory will crown us hereafter. So church, remember your faithful God who is present, who is rescuing, and who is gracious. Remember that as we consider what it means to end well. But before we think about how we end well, I think we need to consider, are you living well? Because some of you don't need to worry about walking away from God at the end of your life because you are already walking away from him right now. Some of you are running after and falling in love with these things in the present world and you are worshiping and serving anything else besides Jesus Christ. Some of you are like Demas, Maybe you were walking with the Lord at one time, but now you are far from him. The Lord has something to say to you. Even though you have been faithless, I have been faithful to you. And he gives us a promise. The good news, he says in verse 18, the Lord can rescue you from every evil deed and bring you safely into his kingdom. That is your good news. And Jesus is inviting you to, to receive saving grace. That's what you need today. 
Remember, we are all gonna die. The only difference is, will you have rejected that grace or will you live in it for the rest of your days? If you don't know Christ, Jesus is inviting you to receive that saving grace today. If you're a Christian, what do you need to take from this? You need to remember your faithful God who loves you, who's present with you. He's empowering you. He's rescuing you. Remember that no matter what you're walking through, he will stand by you and strengthen you. Maybe as we pray today, as we respond, you need to consider how you need Jesus Christ to stand by you and strengthen you today. What do you need that for? And don't forget, just because we have a faithful God doesn't mean that we don't get to enjoy faithful friends as well. And so let's look for those people in our lives, those close friends that can walk with us even in our darkest hours, come alongside us as we do mission, whatever Jesus has called us to. And let's be the kind of friends that other people can receive that from as well. Guys, if we do that, I believe we can say with Paul at the end of days that we've run the race, we've fought the good fight, we've endured to the end. Let's pray that God would do that with us. Christ, we come before you grateful for this picture, this model that Paul has given us of what it looks like to endure to the end. God, I admit, I feel humbled by that. I want to end well. I know there's so many people in this room watching online with us that want to end well, Lord, as well. So I pray that you would really press into us the reality. We need faithful friends, but even more than that, we need a faithful God. Let us look to you. God, help us to do that. Help us to look to you and find in you all that we need. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.